Well, let's turn now to the scriptures. I'm going to invite you to turn uh, back to Leviticus. Looking forward to Ernie bringing us some more uh, of his series on Leviticus. We're just going to read a few verses from the beginning of Leviticus chapter 8. So Leviticus 8 verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron and his sons their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams and the basket containing bread made without yeast, and gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly gathered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses said to the assembly, This is what the Lord has commanded to be done. And then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash round him, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. He also fastened the ephod with a decorative waistband, which he tied round him. He placed the breastpiece on him and put the urim and thummim in the breastpiece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred emblem, on the front of it as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it and so consecrated them. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils and the basin with its stand to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's sons forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them and fastened caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. So this is God's word. I'm going to invite Ernie to come up uh, and and open it to us and I'll pray as he comes. Father God, we ask for your blessing this morning, your anointing on Ernie. Even as this priest was anointed with oil, a sign of the Holy Spirit, we ask that you anoint him with your Holy Spirit this morning that we might hear your word direct to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Nick. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be back in Leviticus. And you'll remember that uh, Leviticus is the book for the Levites, the book which is the priest's manual, telling them how to do their job. And as we looked at the first seven chapters, we looked at them under two headings. The first part, we saw a pattern for worship. And you remember, that was all about offerings. Offerings for atonement, burnt offering, sin offering, guilt offering, offerings for thanksgiving, the grain offering, and offerings for fellowship, an offering offered to God and then shared with his people. And then we looked at those same seven chapters from a totally different point of view looking for pictures of the Lord Jesus. And we found every aspect of the atonement offerings is a type, a picture of Jesus and what he did on Calvary. It points us forward to the fulfillment of God's great plan. Well, this morning we're going to move on to chapters 8 to 10. And the heading is Priests and priesthood. Why is that relevant to us? Well, if we fast forward to the New Testament and look at 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, Peter wrote this to the Christians. 
But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We have such a phenomenal privilege. We were in darkness. We didn't really understand good and evil. We didn't know God. We were in total darkness, and yet he made a way to bring us through into his light, where we can see the world in sunshine. We can see right and wrong. We can see good and evil. And above all, we can see him and his love and that amazing grace that he pours out for us. He gave us all of this in order that we might be a royal priesthood. And why are we a priesthood? What does he want us to do? He wants us to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness. That is our high calling. So it's pretty important that we understand how we fulfill our role as priests. And the extraordinary thing is that 1,400 years before Jesus was born, the appointment of Aaron and his sons as priests is a type, a, a picture that foreshadows our priesthood as believers in the Lord Jesus. Maybe as we read that passage from chapter 8, um, you were wondering how this can apply. Well, let's look at it together. The Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron and his sons, their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams and the basket containing the bread made without yeast, and gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly gathered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. This was a very public event. The tabernacle, or tent of meeting, was a small area at the center of the camp of the Israelites. We don't know whether the assembly here means absolutely everybody. That would be something in excess of 1.2 million people that would be gathered around this tiny area. So it seems unlikely. It's more likely that it was the heads of clans or the heads of families that were called to witness this event. But whoever it was, the ordination of the priests was very public. And people were expected to understand and respect what happened. Moses said to the assembly, this is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. The word washed is very interesting. It's not the kind of thing you do in the bathroom when you wash your face and wash your hands. It's a word which is much stronger. Rachatz. It means to be fully immersed in water. Not just splash it on to take the dirt away, but to be fully immersed in water. 
Does that remind you of baptism? It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? 1,400 years before Jesus was born, this rite was applied to the ordination of the priest that he should be immersed in water. Why was it done? Because the Lord had commanded Moses for it to be done. And the Lord Jesus gave us a command as well. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Where did this washing take place? Well, it was almost certainly at the uh, laver, the the great bronze bowl in front of the tent of meeting. We read about that bowl being uh, made in the book of Exodus. It doesn't actually give us any size. But later, when the temple was built in Jerusalem, we read that the laver was made according to the pattern of the tabernacle. And that laver, we have a size for. It took 40 baths of water. That is something in excess of 200 gallons of water. So it's quite enough to immerse somebody in. And that laver or, or bronze basin was also the place where the priests came to wash on a daily basis. You see, the priests were only immersed in the water at their ordination. They weren't baptized multiple times, just the once. But each day, when they came to serve on duty, they were to wash their hands and wash their feet at the laver, the, the great bronze bowl. So, preparing for priesthood, where does it start? It starts with washing. Immersion in water, baptism in our case, washing hands and feet on a daily basis. Does that remind you of something Jesus said? When he washed the disciples' feet at the Last Supper, he came to Peter, and Peter says, you're never going to wash my feet, Lord. And Jesus said, unless I wash you, you can have no part in me. And so Peter, not to be outdone, said, in that case, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus said, if you've had a bath, your whole body is clean. You just need to wash your feet. So it was with the ordination of the priests. But after they were washed, they were clothed. He put the tunic on Aaron and tied the sash around him. The tunic. What was the tunic? I copied this page from a, a book. I think it's a rabbinical text, uh, which d is described as the holy garments of our priesthood. And the tunic, the English is a little bit um, peculiar, but I'm going to read it just the way it says. This item, part of the normal dress of every man, it was made of linen and was to be worn under the outer garment. It was a long or half-sleeved shirt-like garb reaching to the ankles. Tunics were generally made of wool, but the priest's tunics 
were made of linen. Linen has a very significant uh, role in Scripture. White, fine linen is a symbol of purity and holiness. And here the priest was to wear holiness as his inner garment, closest to his skin and the most intimate part of his, his body. Tunics could be made of two pieces, but the priest's tunic was woven on a special loom so as to be seamless. Remind you of anything? When the soldiers were crucifying Jesus, they shared out his personal effects, and they came to his tunic, and they saw it was made of one single piece of cloth. They said, what a shame to tear it. So they cast lots for his tunic. It was a seamless, uncut fabric of pure holiness. That was what the priest was to wear next to his skin. Moses put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, and clothed him with the robe. The robe was sky blue in color, signifying that the authority of the priest came from heaven. The interesting thing here is that the high priest wears the robe, but not his sons, not the other priests, not the other Levites, only the high priest. Jesus came from heaven with authority. We receive our authority from him. He also put the ephod on him. The ephod is a thing rather like an apron. It's pinned at the shoulders with a, a rather complicated brooch affair, and it's tied around in the middle with a, a decorative waistband, which is made out of the same kind of cloth. If you go back to Exodus, you can see how that cloth is made. And it is incredibly complicated. I haven't quite got my mind around how you can get 23 different strands together to make a single thread, and every thread is identical, and they are threaded together in such a way that colored patterns emerge in the way that the, the cloth is woven. But this was it. It was skillfully, cunningly woven, according to Exodus. And the ephod was placed over the robe uh, on Aaron. And then he placed the breastpiece on him. The breastpiece is that square box that you can see on the front of the ephod. And Moses put the urim and the thummim in the breastpiece. The breastpiece was actually made out of the same cloth as the ephod. It's a very, very stiff cloth. It's actually woven with gold wire down the, uh, the fabric. And the cloth was folded twice, not specified how the folds were made, but it turned it into a thing rather like a box or a bag or a pocket. You could get your hands in from the right or from the left, and inside were the urim and thummim. On the outside 
there were 12 precious stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And again, if you have the time to look back into Exodus and read about those stones and their significance, there is a huge symbolism here. But the point I want to draw from this is that our high priest has all of God's people close to his heart. That's the symbolism of wearing this breastpiece. And the Urim and the Thummim are inside that pocket. Well, what are the Urim and Thummim? Unfamiliar words. They're both plural words. Urim means lights, and Thummim means perfections. We've no idea whatsoever how they were made or how they were used, other than these were the means that the high priest would use to determine, discern the will of God. And so, carrying these things on his heart, he was able to discern profound issues that were brought to him by the congregation and resolve them according to the purpose of God. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred emblem, on the front of it as the Lord commanded Moses. We read in the Midrash that there are 18 cubits of fine white linen in the turban, 24 feet of linen wound around his head. Again, the linen symbolizing holiness and purity. The front... The gold plate, the sacred emblem, which was bound round his head with a, a blue a ribbon, <clears throat> is engraved with the words, Holy to the Lord. We read that in Exodus 39. So, in the preparation for priesthood, we've got the washing and the clothing, seamless righteousness next to the skin, sky blue heavenly robe on the outside, all of God's people close to his heart, God's guidance in his pocket, and a head covered with a band of righteousness and crowned as holy to the Lord. Not only (coughs) was the priest washed and clothed, but he was also anointed. Moses poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. This was a very public thing, as I was saying. Moses has anointed all of the furniture in the tabernacle. That symbolizes that everything we use for a spiritual purpose, whether we're talking about evangelism or we're talking about worship, everything needs to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. But most of all, those who act as priests must be anointed. The anointing oil is the symbol of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And you remember our great high priest, the Lord Jesus, when he was baptized, came out of the water, and the Holy Spirit visited him in a special way, in the form, a physical form, of a dove. That's the high priest, but how about the sons of Aaron? Well, 
He brought Aaron's sons forward and put tunics on them, tied sashes round them, and fastened caps on them, as the Lord commanded Moses. The cap may have been like the black cap that this um, gentleman is wearing. Um, That is the orthodox tradition. Or it may have been more like the skull cap, the prayer cap of modern Judaism. In either case, the symbolism is exactly the same. The head and the mind is under the authority of a higher power. That's the reason the cap is worn. Washed, clothed, anointed, and then atoned for. He then presented the bull for the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the bull and took some of the blood, and he placed it on the horns of the altar, because this was a sin offering, not the burnt offering of Leviticus chapter 1. He then presented the ram for the burnt offering. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head, and Moses slaughtered the ram and splashed the blood against the sides of the altar. This, if you remember, the guilt offering was the ram. So every aspect of the the priest's sins is being covered here. Those sins which are inadvertent sins against God, those sins which are deliberate sins against his fellow men, they're covered the sin, the guilt, all taken care of in the atonement. And then we come to the ordination itself. He then presented the other ram. There were two rams, you remember. The ram for the ordination. Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head and then Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of its blood and place it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, and on the, the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And Moses also brought Aaron's sons forward, that's you and I, and he put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right, right feet. Now, what does that all imply the blood on the lobe of your ear, on your thumb, and on your big toe. Well, traditional explanation is fairly straightforward. Basically, the role of a priest is to listen. Listen to people and listen to God. And he speaks on behalf of the people to God and to the people on behalf of God. So he needs to listen well. His hands do the work of God. His hands need to be sanctified too. His feet will take him to all kinds of different places in the service of God. And his feet should be sanctified. So the blood on the lobe of the ear, on the thumb and on the big toe, that's covering those three eventualities. But there is another angle, particularly on the lobe of the ear, which you may uh, find rather interesting. You see, in Deuteronomy, 
we read about the rules concerning slaves. A slave was to serve for a fixed period of time, and then he was to be given his liberty. But there was another possibility. If your servant says to you, I don't want to leave you, because he loves you and your family, and he's well off with you, then take an awl and push it through his ear lobe into the door, and he will become your servant for life. It's a pretty awful way of rewarding a person's loyalty to stick an awl through their ear and pin them to the door. But the symbolism was this. That person was committed as a servant for life. It wasn't something that was a fixed period of time. It certainly wasn't something casual. This was a massive commitment, and a commitment made out of love, and the blood would flow from his ear lobe as the all was piercing it and pinning him to the door. I love my little granddaughter to bits. Her name is Erin. And when I was quite ill, I was sitting in my chair. She came up to me and she put her hands on my arm. She said, Grandpa, will you love me forever and ever 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 and ever? And I said, yes, Erin, I'll love you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I don't know if I got all the number of ever right, but... That touched my heart so much that she wanted me to love her forever and ever. And she seemed quite satisfied when I had finished saying Evers, and she went away and carried on playing with her Lego. But God wants us to respond to him with that kind of commitment of love, a commitment which says, Lord, I will serve you forever and ever and ever. And keep on going, saying the Evers. Not only all of these things, but the priests were provided for. Moses said to Aaron and his sons, cook the meat at the entrance to the tent of meeting, eat it there with the bread from the basket of ordination offerings, as I was commanded, Aaron and his sons are to eat it. This is the fellowship offering. They're to have a roast dinner. And they're to have the unleavened bread made with olive oil and the unleavened bread made simply with salt. And they put this together and have a really good meal. They were provided for. But the provision for the priests is very different to the provision for everybody else. You see, the Lord said to Aaron, you will have no inheritance in their land, nor will you have any share among them. I am your share and your inheritance among the Israelites. You will have no inheritance in their land. You know the song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. If heaven's not my home, well, Lord, what will I do? It, it, it sounds almost flippant, but it's a powerful truth. When we become Christians, when we trust the Lord Jesus, when we allow him to take away our sins, we no longer have any enduring city 
here on this earth. This world is not our home. We are heaven's children. And we are going to be with him. He is our share and our inheritance. That's why we can be priests for him. Preparing for the priesthood, washed, clothed, anointed, atoned for, ordained, committed, provided for. All of these things, all of these things, when you reflect on them and think about them, are ours in the gospel. They're a free gift from God. The washing, the clothing, the provision, the atonement, everything is there as a free gift from God. It's not something we have to strive to achieve or to do. It's there in the gospel. But there is a part that we have to play. Moses told Aaron, do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, for your ordination will last seven days. You must stay at the entrance to the tent of meeting day and night for seven days and do what the Lord requires. So Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord commanded through Moses. They stayed at the entrance to the tent of meeting. They waited on the Lord. They simply committed time to hear from God and to be in God's presence and do whatever he asked of them. That's a requirement on us as well. Then the priests begin their ministry. On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons, the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, take a bull calf for your sin offering and a ram for your burnt offering, both without defect, and present them before the Lord. The sins of the priests must be atoned for before he can facilitate atonement for the people. And that's something which is ongoing. The um, the chaplain of Southampton University uh, told a story about a young lady who came to him asking for baptism. And she was very, very committed, and he uh, took her through the, the baptismal preparation classes and baptized her. But then she stopped coming to church, and he didn't see her for quite a while, so he went round to visit and said, is anything wrong? And she said, well, I've discovered it doesn't work. And he said, what do you mean it doesn't work? She said, well, I asked for baptism because I thought if I get baptized, I will stop sinning. And straight away afterwards, I fell into sin, and I've been sinning ever since. So baptism obviously doesn't work. And he said to her, Oh, it wasn't the baptism that was at fault. I didn't hold you down long enough for that to happen. <laughs> Our sin is an ongoing thing. It's not cured once and for all in the same way as our guilt is cured once and for all. And we need our sins to be continually atoned for. 
Say to the Israelites, take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, both a year old and without defect, for a burnt offering. So Moses is saying to Aaron and his sons, facilitate the atonement of these people. Arrange for the atoning sacrifice to be made on their behalf. And then tell them to take an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering, to sacrifice before the Lord together with a grain offering mixed with olive oil. So they're being asked to facilitate the thanksgiving and fellowship, the worship of the people. For today, Moses said, the Lord will appear to you. They are enabling people to meet with God. Then Aaron lifted his hands towards the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. We are called to be priests facilitating atonement for people by sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus, bringing the presence of God to people, introducing them to our Savior so that the people can be blessed. We're not here to judge people, to make them feel awkward, guilty. No, we are here to bless people by bringing the presence of God to them and enabling them to find forgiveness and atonement in the death and resurrection of Jesus. What a privilege we have. Now, as the musicians come up to um, prepare our response in song, I just want to finish by looking at the postscript, Leviticus chapter 10. It's the closest we get to having a real story in the book of Leviticus. But it's a story I don't like to dwell on. It's the story of Nadab and Abihu. They were two sons of Aaron. They had gone through this process of ordination. They had become priests. But they made a big mistake. They chose to make their own rules And they offered what is described as unauthorized fire before the Lord. We don't know exactly what that means. It was probably they used an incense which was different to that prescribed in the book of uh, Exodus. And because they tried to step away from the script, as Nick described it the other uh, day in his sermon, Because they stepped away from the way God had prescribed it, the Lord destroyed them. And Leviticus chapter 10 makes pretty horrible reading, a horror story. Let's heed the warning. But I don't want you to take that as the main message as you go away this morning. Remember the privilege that is ours to be a royal priesthood for our God.